0: today's reading comes from first peter chapter 1 3 to 5 blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You may be seated. As you're seated, let me pray for us. Uh, Father, as we engage this passage of scripture in this season of Advent, we ask you more than anything, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to us in greater measure. Uh, Father, we thank you that you saw fit to send your son in the first Advent or arrival of Jesus in his incarnation, We celebrate that even as we wait in the tension of his soon return. We wait in between the times of the first advent and the second advent. The first arrival and the second arrival. And as we do so, Lord, we ask you that you would help us to wait in a posture of hope. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hope is what we will be looking at today in this season of Advent. It's a little bit of a deviation from where we planned on going today in our Advent series because we have a little bit of a deviation on who was supposed to be preaching this morning. Uh, I was very excited to have Jake LaFave, who's the lead pastor of Christ City East Vancouver, back with us. He was going to be bringing the word today, and unfortunately, uh, he is ill, quite ill, graphically ill in his text messages to me. He has got the flu. And uh, so he's not able to be with us. So I get to jump in and we're going to look at the idea of hope and the importance of hope. And what that means for us in this season of Advent as we wait in between the times. As we exist in the tension of Advent. Advent holds this season. The season of Advent that we're in. The second Sunday of Advent is this season of tension. That on one hand Christians believe that, that Jesus has come. And that he's accomplished everything that we need for our salvation. That our salvation is given to us by grace as a gift. faith in christ and we we understand that in that we receive all the promises of god but on the other hand we also know that we're still hopefully waiting anticipating the fullness of that salvation in jesus return and so advent is this season where we are in the tension between the arrival of jesus and the return of jesus the incarnation of christ when jesus Uh, is born of the virgin mary and he lives and he teaches and he suffers and he dies in our place and for our sins he's buried in the tomb he's resurrected on the third day he is ruling and reigning over all things and he promises that he will return that's the season that we exist in waiting and longing and anticipating his return so here we are in the tension in between the times in between the first advent and the second advent and so we celebrate that. And I think one of the key ingredients in the season of Advent is this idea of hope. And so we'll look at hope today. We'll look at first, the importance of hope. We'll look at second, what hope really is. And then third, I want to ask three brief questions that are trying to anchor this in our lives into practical day-to-day things of how to find hope, how to get it back if we've lost it, and how to keep it if we're living in it right now. So we'll look at this—the importance of hope—and then define what hope really is biblically, and then ask ourselves three questions: how to find it, how to get it back, and how to keep it. Um, when I was uh, nearly fifteen years old, um, I was selected to play on a hockey team that went to Europe, and we spent a few weeks in Europe, going around playing hockey. And um, you know, as a bunch of Albertan, sort of overgrown Albertan hockey boys, farm boys, country boys, we just beat up on the Europeans, and it was great. It was really great. We we won a lot. Played against teams that were older than us. And here's the thing about that trip it was part hockey, part tour, part experience, cultural experience. And it was a good thing for me as a 14 year old, almost 15. And I don't really remember a whole lot about the hockey, uh, which is probably, I mean, maybe not that good. Um, I remember a few things about it, but I don't remember a lot of what happened. I remember what went on in between the games when we went and saw castles, when we saw history that you just don't have in Canada, when we went and walked on the cobblestone streets that have been there for centuries. Um, I remember the thing that probably most stands out to me from that trip that time um, was being in Germany and and going to a concentration camp at a place called Dachau and it's the memory that seared in my mind it's the images it's the it's the struggle to see that there was something that had gone on in life that I didn't understand that I was not fully acquainted with Um, we went and we Walked into this place, and if you've ever been some I know some of you have been to the concentration camp at Dachau and and the museum that exists there, um, we walked in the front door in the lobby, and there's images, big pictures, of the atrocities of the Second World War and piles of bodies, people who had been discarded and thought worthless and put to death. And we walked in and we were confronted with these images. It's the quietest you've ever seen a hockey team of 15-year-old boys. And most of us had chaperones on the trip, and most of our chaperones were grandparents. And what became very apparent very quickly to all of us was that our grandparents had lived through something that none of us understood. That we could understand in part from history and from images and from an experience like this, but we did not understand it firsthand. With grandparents who lived through the Second World War, some of them who lived through the Depression era that led up to the Second World War and then lived with the pain and the horror of knowing what had gone on in this world of how human beings could treat other human beings. And just the face of evil. And I remember going through the entryway and moving my way into the courtyard of the the compound that is there and recognizing that my grandma wasn't with me anymore. She was my chaperone on the trip, and I turned around to go find her because I thought, oh, I've, I've run ahead. And I walked outside because I couldn't find her inside the building, and I walked outside the entrance, and I could see walking down the road past where our team bus had stopped were grandparents who had no interest in walking in there they didn't need to learn the history they didn't need to see the images they didn't need the reminder they knew exactly what had gone on there most of them lived through it and so our grandparents walking down the road and i remember the gap in between them they weren't walking as a group having some kind of conversation they were alone They were wrestling with the things that they had seen and what they knew their grandkids were now experiencing as they walked through. I remember walking into a cinder block room and wondering what it was for with a big heavy steel door and looking up and seeing sprinklers on the ceilings and, and not being acquainted with what had actually gone on and having to ask the tour guide what this room was for. And it was where they crammed people in, closed the door behind them, sealed the door and then turned on the gas when they were exterminating Jewish people. Uh, We walked out of that room into the next room, which was a series of cremation ovens where they cremated people and piled the ashes high. Images of people and bodies piled up waiting to be cremated, um, buried in open pits, and, and just horrific, horrific conditions. It was a situation that for many was absent of hope. I was telling this story to a friend about 10 years after I was there and he had gone and seen the same thing and we were having a conversation and he told me about a book written by a man named Viktor Frankl called Man's Search for Meaning. And in that book, he chronicles his story of living and being moved around from concentration camp to concentration camp during the Second World War and how he learned and almost observed as a psychiatrist, I think is what he was, observed the human condition going on within the camp and the book reads more like an existential philosopher than it does a method of psychiatry and counseling but he talks a lot about hope and how hope is integral to the human existence and when it is taken away how death sets in people can suffer through nearly anything as long as they have a reason for it but senseless suffering crushes people because hopelessness comes in and robs life itself people can suffer through nearly any kind of despair provided they have a light at the end of the tunnel and as christians we call that light the hope of jesus we hang on to something that transcends all of the evil and horror that we see in the world around us we have a hope that is enduring that is steadfast that is immovable we have a hope in christ that this is not all there is and this is not all there one day will be That things will not always be as they are, that they will be as they ought to be. And so we have a hope in the sense that it's not just a freedom from a concentration camp or any other kind of idea. Our hope is grounded in the person and work of Jesus. Hope is integral to the human existence and is so vital for us. And it's an integral part of the Christian faith. And when we lose sight of hope in Christ, we can begin to fail and falter And we want to be sure that we are keeping Christ and the hope of Christ at the center of everything we have and believe. Um, One example of what Frankel saw when he was in the camp was uh, a conversation that he had with one of his friends who had a dream. And he had a dream that his camp was going to be liberated by uh, a certain date. This is what he said in his book. He said, the war news which reached our camp made it appear very unlikely that we would be free on the promised date. On March 29th, F, who's his friend who he just signifies by the first letter of his name suddenly became ill and ran a high temperature on march 30th the day his prophecy had told him that the war and suffering would be over for him he became delirious and lost consciousness on march 31st he was dead those who know how close the connection is between the state of mind of a man his courage and hope or lack of them and the state of the immunity of his, <coughs> immunity of his body will understand that the sudden loss of hope and courage can have a deadly effect The ultimate cause of my friend's death was that the expected liberation did not come and he was severely disappointed. And he goes on following in his book to quote Nietzsche who said he who has a why to live can bear with almost any how. The distinguishing mark that Frankel observed in the concentration camp scenario that he found himself in, the distinguishing mark between those who lived and those who died was those who had hope that no matter their situation they were able to hang on to something that was in front of them that they were able to exist with a future promise and a desire in front of them and i want to say to us today how much more for us who follow jesus who are given not just an idea of freedom in a temporal sense or liberation from some kind of suffering or punishment or um, trial or circumstances that is causing us to be brought low but we have a hope that endures a hope that's eternal and actually the scriptures teach us that when we are asked about the hope that we have we are supposed to be able to give a reason for it so i want to talk about this and say what is hope ask what is hope Um, i'll explain it first i think by what it's not and then i'll maybe get to what it is Um, hope is one of those words that we toss around a little bit right we're not living in the generation of concentration camps though there are concentration camps around the world we are not personally those people we came in here freely today and we use the word hope in a little bit of a lighter way than most people who are suffering deep deep trials we use the word hope with things like you buy a lottery ticket and you hope you're going to win i hope i'm going to win well is that what hope really is biblically um, statistically, I've said this before, statistically, your odds are one, and I, I think the scientific number is in a gazillion that, that you could win. Um, you're more likely to die of flesh-eating disease than win the lottery. Uh, so to say that you have hope... Yeah, no, I'm a little morbid today. It's okay. <laughs> so it's okay. You're exponentially more likely to be killed by lightning than to win the lottery, except we talk about things like this in our culture as hope. I hope this will happen. Um, statistically, if you buy 50 lottery tickets a week... Um, you are likely to win at least once. If you buy 50 tickets a week, you are likely to win the big lotto once every 5,000 years. That's the statistical probability of you winning the lottery. But we say, I hope I win the lottery. It's it's, it's saying I have no real statistical chance, but man, even though in the midst of the uncertainty, it would be great if I did. And we, we, we attach that kind of thing to the word hope and when we do so i think we gut that word of its biblical meaning and we bring it low and trivialize the nature of hope in christ all right we say things like i hope the stanley cup is maybe won by the vancouver canucks one day and we would say well it's never happened before and as an edmonton oilers fan that's about all i have to say to you <laughs> is that we have won several times and you have not so you may hope that it happens but it's not based on any kind of certainty and it's not based on your roster at the moment (laughs) it's something that you would like to have happen in the future but it's a massive uncertainty that you can't bank on but that's not what hope in the bible is that's not how the word is used in scripture one theologian said it this way ordinarily when we express hope we are expressing uncertainty that's the cultural use of the language of hope but this is not the distinctive biblical meaning of hope biblical hope is not just a desire for something good in the future but rather biblical hope is a confident expectation a desire for something good in the future biblical hope not only desires something good for the future it expects it to happen and not only expects it to happen it is confident that it happens. it's confident it will happen so the difference between the way that we normally culturally use the word hope And the way that the word hope is used in the Bible is the difference between a confident expectation, that's the scriptural definition of hope, a confident expectation and like a shot in the dark. When you see your hope is in Jesus, that's not a shot in the dark that that might pan out for you someday. It is a confident expectation that all that God has promised us in Christ will come to pass. It is a covenantally bound promise that God has made. That's our hope. Not a shot in the dark that something we kind of hope might happen one day. Oh, I hope, I hope. No, 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 no. It's a promise. Hope as we look at it. It's not desiring a future outcome even though you know that the Certainty of that outcome is wildly unsure. Hope, as the Bible shows it to us, is not shrouded in uncertainty. Hope in the Bible is not revealed in an idea. Hope in the Bible is revealed in a person. And that's why Advent is so important for us. The full promises of God, spoken from Genesis to Malachi in the Old Testament, the full promises of God and his promises to his covenant people come to bear in the person and work of Jesus. They come to bear in the incarnation. Our hope is not in some kind of idea, but in a person. In Jesus Christ of Nazareth, born of the Virgin Mary, the God-man, the one who came to seek and save that which was lost, the one who came and lived and died, in our place and for our sin who was buried and who was resurrected on the third day the one the person who rules and reigns over all the cosmos at this very present moment like colossians 1 says who is sustaining and holding all things together (laughs) that's where our hope is grounded it's not in an idea our hope is grounded in the person of jesus not some sort of uncertainty that we are hanging on to as christians it is the certainty that the promises of god will come to pass our hopes as followers of jesus they're not some kind of far gone wish our hopes are established on the revelation of the nature and character of a covenant-keeping god who has a promised future for his people first peter chapter 1 verse 13 says therefore prepare your minds for action and being sober minded set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of jesus christ now this was written after jesus lived and died and was resurrected this is written by one of jesus disciples who understands that yes jesus came in his incarnation the first advent but that we are longing for and expecting with great anticipation and hope the soon return of jesus when he comes in power and glory jesus came in humility but jesus will come in glory in his return first peter 1 says that that hope is to be set fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of jesus christ do you see this our hope is on the future promise of who jesus is and what he will do when he comes not baby jesus being born But King Jesus returning. See, our greatest hope is to be set on the revealing of Jesus. That's biblical hope. Hope is a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. Specifically, biblical hope is the fullness of the salvation that has been promised to us in Christ. That we can be made right with God. That he will one day return. That he will make all things new. That he rights all wrongs. This is the promise that we hope for. Not with an uncertain expectation, but with a certainty of a promise from a God who never fails. That's the essence of biblical hope, and that's the message of the season of Advent. That's the tension we live in. That is one of the marks of the season of Advent, that we are people of great hope. Here's how I work some of this out on my own Revelation chapter 22, verses 3 and 4. One of the, for me, the greatest pictures of hope and confident expectation that i have no longer will there be anything accursed but when jesus returns when he reveals himself as king the throne of god and the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him this is the new creation and look at verse four they will see his face that's a promise and in the darkest nights and in the deepest valleys And in the situations of pain and anguish that all of us endure to different degrees at different points in our lives, that's what draws me forward. That's where my hope lives, in Christ, in the revelation of God and the promise that I one day will see his face. I can hang on to the certain promise that I will see the face of Jesus. See, hope is integral to the human existence. And the question we need to ask ourselves then today is, how do we get it? If you don't have it, how do you get it? How do you get that kind of anchored hope? That confident, certain hope that I'm describing. The kind of hope that the first disciples had. That, the kind of hope that fueled their martyr's death. Many of them met their end as a martyr. How, how, how do they do that with this great anticipation of their future? The, the kind of hope that sustained the church over the last 2,000 years of Christian history. you've never had it how do you get it first peter 1 verse 3 blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope he has caused us to be born again to a living hope part of the body of christ city week after week after week after week that should never get normal to you if you're a follower of jesus do you ever once in a while i do this once in a while i, just go, I cannot believe i'm a follower of jesus like i cannot believe it. i did not mean to become a follower of jesus god just kind of jumped into my life grabbed a hold of me and brought me to himself didn't grow up in the faith i didn't grow up with an understanding of it this was not normal to me in any sense of the word normal But do you ever just get shocked that this is true of you? That you have a hope that endures, that is grounded, the living hope that is grounded in the resurrected Jesus? That's not normal. I don't know if you look around the world that we live in. This is not normal. There's a lot of people who follow Jesus. There's a lot of people who follow Jesus. But this isn't normal. If you've never had hope like this, how do you get a hold of it? Well, the text says... That he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus taught this. He said, if you want to have this kind of hope, you need to be born again. That no system of religion, that no system of laws, that no system of rules, that no system of do-goodism is going to be enough for you to take hold of a hope that endures like this eternally, that you need to be born again. And so those of you who are not yet followers of Jesus, who hear that language used, and you go, oh, born-again Christians, I've heard of those folks. Who's going to hit me over the head with a Bible? Somebody's probably going to do it right away. And you're just looking at, just don't worry, we're not going to do that. We're not that church. You need to be born again. There was a religious leader, a holy man, who came to Jesus. And he came to him at night in John chapter 3. And he came to Jesus and he was trying to figure out what it meant to be this this person who honored God in his life. John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus says to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. what he meant was he's was talking to this religious leader again a holy person a good person he's saying look everything you've trusted in up until this point has only led you to the moment where you can be born again everything you've trusted in the family that you were raised in the the nation that you find yourself a part of the rules and regulations that you've kept because you thought they would save you all of it has actually led you to this moment where you need to be born again And if you're not, it won't be enough. See, the basic religious belief in our day, and and I I say that religious belief in the sense of dead religion, the basic religious belief of our day, and I think we live in a totally religious society, people would say that it's not. Well, I, I think it is. I think it very much is. I think that many of us and many of our neighbors are living in some kind of system where they think they can find themselves presentable to God in their own strength where they can do enough to merit the approval of god on their own the basic religious belief is that if i'm good i can be saved that if i'm good i'll be okay and then we define good not in a relationship to who god is and who he's revealed himself to be but we define good horizontally and so we go well i'm better than him that's a, a religious worldview that says i believe in god And I think that I need to live to a certain standard and then I'll be acceptable to him. And the way that we start to define that is to look at people who are worse than us and we go, see, I'm I'm better than him. Or people who meet me and go, well, I'm better than him and he's a preacher. Yes, probably agree on all, on all accounts, but that's not how you become saved. The religious leader who came to jesus the holy man who came to jesus jesus said you need to be born again you need to be born again you need to be cleansed you need to be made whole and the only way that that happens is through jesus and what he has accomplished on our behalf and that means that we need to recognize that we're not supposed to clean ourselves up a little bit so that we can be acceptable to god but that we actually throw all of our hope all of our faith all of our trust all of our own efforts at the feet of jesus And stop trying to earn a right standing before God and to receive from him what he has accomplished on our behalf, which only comes by a gift. So you can't receive the assurance of hope in any other way. Dead religion generally says you need to do better and try harder. But the message of the gospel is that Christ is accomplished and you need to receive. You need to be born again. If you've never had hope like this, that's how you get it i don't want to build a foundation of how i think i stand before god on my own perfection or acceptability i want to build it on the acceptability and perfection of jesus i don't want to base it on me and my performance i want to base it on jesus and his performance in my place so religion says you need to try harder and you need to do better and christianity says actually jesus has already done it for you everything you need for salvation is in him and the thing about being born again to a living hope like first peter would talk about is that you actually can't do it on your own and i know that's hard to hear in a room full of achievers right vancouver people you're all a bunch of achievers you've got the letters after your name you've got the house you've got the car you've got the thing you've got the blank 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 you fill it in you've achieved you've arrived you're good at what you do and you can't achieve this and it cuts against the grain of our fallen humanity to think that we can't deserve it on our own but we receive it in christ we are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead we're not born again to a living hope through our own greatness and achievement this is the message because if you if you've never had a hope like this This sure certain hope, this Christian hope of salvation, you just need to realize that all the assurance you've ever needed to know that you can anchor your hopes in God and his promises to you in Christ, all that you ever need to know is that you are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That all of the assurance you ever need for the hope that you long for and the hope that you want to take hold of is that there is an empty tomb and that alive and well Jesus walked out of that tomb on the first Easter Sunday. That's where your hope is anchored. How do you get it? How do you, well, you look to the resurrected king. You yield your life to the lordship of Christ. And if you will do that, then your hope is as alive as the Jesus you serve. So the big question is, have you taken hold of it yet? The second question is, if you had it, but you lost it, how do you get it back? And my sense is that a number of us are at that place you've had this hope you've experienced this hope you've walked in this hope you've lived in this hope and it has waned in your life this is my i don't think it's an assumption of many of us in the room i I think it's knowledge that many of us have taken hold of a hope like that but there are seasons where it's dipped and we're not quite so sure anymore Well, Hebrews chapter 6 tells us that our hope is anchored in the promises of God and that God's promises are certain because he cannot lie. Our hope is anchored in the certainty that Jesus has made a way for us to be present before the Father. I would encourage you to go and meditate on Hebrews chapter 6. See, we typically think of our hope as something that's a wish or a desire that would take place, but I don't think that's the way... His hope is kind of like our faith looking forward. Hope, the writer of Hebrews says is like an anchor hope keeps us grounded to the truth that it stops us from being tossed back and forth by every stormy wave that comes along every current that would cause us to drift off course if we're anchored and our hope is in christ that means that we are tethered to him and that we cannot drift too far before we will swing back hope isn't closing your eyes and taking a deep breath and plunging into the unknown hope is looking forward to the certainty of the promises of god coming to pass Where do we find the promises of God? Where do we find them? And where do we know what he is like? How he has revealed himself to us? It's in his word. And as I hold up my Bible in front of you, I want to say that if you've lost your hope and you're trying to figure out how to get it back, can I encourage you that it's found here? Because this connects you to God. It reveals who He is and what He's promised to you. And you can grab a hold of this and it will re-anchor you back in that hope and the hope will begin to rise. Even in the tension as we wait in between the times. Sometimes we lose our hope because we've forgotten what's promised to us. And sometimes we lose our hope because we have misplaced it. We have placed our hopes and dreams on the wrong foundation. Sometimes the greatest disappointments in our lives, they just spring from misplaced hope. We think that we will have everything we need in a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a spouse. We think that we will find everything that we need in our marriage as we look to one another. We think that we'll find everything that we need to sustain us if we would just be able to build a family, if we would just get that promotion, if we would just get that house, if we would just get that car, if we would just get that retirement fund, if we would just get that and you fill in the blanks. And we think, I would then have hope. But right now I feel hopeless because I can't take hold of the things that I want. I'm just saying to you, don't misplace your hope. Don't place it on anything that can be taken away from you. Your spouse, your children, your marriage, your home, your car, your bank account, your retirement fund. They can all be taken. And if you've placed your hope in those things, you will find yourself hopeless. But if you've placed your hope in Christ, it is hope that endures and can never be taken. If you've lost it, you can find it again. Just don't attach your hope to something that is not an anchor. The hope of the resurrection of Jesus anchors us in the promises of God. What is ours in Christ? And like those in Auschwitz and Dachau who survived in hope, we would find that we can endure any kind of suffering we can maintain our hope even in the midst of the worst trials in life if it's anchored in who he is first peter chapter 1 verse 3 says according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead so if you've lost it how do you get it back you look to the word of god you look to the word of god and you realign yourself with who he is and what he's promised and how he's called you to live in hope and it will begin to grow our hope's not grounded in arbitrary ideas it is grounded in the risen christ so if you've had it and you've lost it here's what i think you should do you know when you lose something in your house and you think i need to retrace my steps to go find that i seem to do it more often these days than ever before i've lost something i need to retrace my steps to go and find it once again I would say if you've lost hope in this season, retrace your steps to when you last had it. When you felt like it was strong. Retrace your steps to when you first had it or last had it and ask God to show you what happened in between that time and your present reality now. Because my bet is one of two things happened. One, you were sinned against in some horrific way that has caused you to doubt the goodness and sincerity of God who loves you. And that you've said something like this. God, if you really loved me, that wouldn't have happened to me. And your hope begins to fall because you're not sure you're anchored in him. And you're not sure that he's the anchor you really should attach yourself to. And your hope begins to wane. And I'm saying to you, if you retrace your steps back to the point of origin where you last saw your hope, ask God to show you where he was in the midst of your suffering because I can guarantee you one thing, he was not absent. Though you have been sinned against, though you have suffered, though you are in a moment of trial he has not abandoned you and there's no reason to shift your hope off of him the other thing that can happen i think at times is that we shift our ultimate hope from god onto something else like i said that can be taken and removed from our life and so when it's taken and removed for us we feel hopeless but i want you to notice that's actually a gracious act of god to show you that where you put your trust and what you thought you were anchored to is not as good as you thought it was And so when your relationship fails, when you get fired from the job, when you don't get the raise, when your investment accounts are gone, you can have hope in spite of that. Not hope in that, in spite of that. So retrace your steps and go back to the last point you had hope and ask God to show you where he was from that point till today. Because I can tell you one thing. It is the gracious act of the Holy Spirit to allow you to go through trials that you might come and put your hope back in the right foundation and it is the gracious act of the holy spirit to reveal to you that god is with you that he will never leave you nor forsake you no matter the circumstances you're enduring all that we have to do when we suffer trials like this is to behold the cross and be reminded of the fact that we serve a god who is well acquainted with suffering who suffered in our place and for our sins that we might not be hopeless, but that we might be filled with hope in spite of the trials we experience. So you are not left alone and you are not left abandoned. You are not left to your own devices and your own strength. You serve a God who suffered with you and for you, who is coming to reveal himself to you in the midst of those situations. If you've lost your hope, you can find it again. Third, if you're filled with hope, how do you keep it? If you're filled with hope, how do you keep it? Look at First Peter chapter one. Look at verses 3 through 5 again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then verse 4 says, To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So if you are filled with hope today, rejoice. Be thankful Celebrate the reality that you're filled with hope and can I ask you something? Can I beg you, body of Christ, city? Can I beg you, if you are filled with hope today, please share it. Because there are so many people sitting around you right now who don't have any. And who aren't sure how they're going to get through the next week. But if you're filled with hope, please don't be selfish with it. And please don't assume that just because the person walked in today with a beautiful veneer and smile, oh, everything's good not true we need to share the hope we have if you have hope here's how you maintain it don't keep it for yourself you share in it you live into it you expose others to it you bring them along and when you see the countenance of their face change As you explain the hope that you have in the risen Christ, the hope that you have that will be revealed in the last time, the inheritance that is yours and theirs, that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading, when you begin to share of that hope, that salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, I just want to say that that hope is infectious. If you've got it, live into it. Share it with others. One of the ways that I want to do this is to remind myself constantly of the future that I'm promised. As it says about this inheritance, this imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance that's kept in heaven for me. One of the places I go to to stir my affections for Christ in the midst of my hope is Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. I want to grab a hold of my future promise in Christ and I want to drag that into the present suffering of the moment I live in. And I want my hope to be fueled. So if you're filled with hope, this is how you keep it. You keep in mind the promises of God in the midst of the situations you're in because you will not always be on the mountaintop. But you can fuel for the valley while you're on the mountaintop. And you can fuel others in the valley because that's where you dwell. Grab a hold of the future promise. Drag it into the present moment and invoke it. The person and work of Jesus on your behalf. Bring that into your suffering and pain. The hope we've received in Jesus is hope. It's hope for us. You know who it's hope for? It's hope for those who need their tears wiped away. It's hope for those who fear death. That's who need this promise. The promise of Jesus is hope for those who weep. It's hope for those who suffer. It's hope for those who have faith but are plagued with doubt because He's with us. The message of Advent is that he arrived, and that he's returning, and that in the middle, in this season we live in, he'll neither leave us nor forsake us. Meaning we have hope in the midst of every situation. Hope is founded upon the God who cares enough to enter into our problem, to take our sin and shame, and then to dwell with us forevermore. This is the anchor. Would you stand and respond with me today? Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.